Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. We are starting a new series uh, titled When Life Happens, When Life Happens. Uh, Now, if we could just be honest with each other, I think all of us uh, have an idea of what we want life to be and what it could be and should be. And then you start living life and you have dreams about marriage and then you get married and if we could just have a real talk, it's not really actually what you dreamt it to be sometimes. If we could just be honest, don't look at your spouse and say amen, don't do that. Um, You have dreams of having kids and you're like, we're gonna have the greatest kids and then you find out like, my kids are testing my patience, God. I mean, this is what happens. You, You have a dream of a career and all of us have things like, I wanna be here when I'm 30, here when I'm 40. But the problem is, is life happens and it's not at all what we thought it'd be at times. And what I love about the book of Philippians, it's a little book, they call it the happy book sometimes, but it's not just a happy book, it's a real book. It does not shy away from the harshness of life, the valleys of life, the toughness of life. And so we're gonna start a new series in the book of Philippians, it's only four chapters, but man, it is just, oh, full of God's goodness, full of God's promises. And so I just wanna give you a little context before we go in the message. Uh, can I do a little bit of teaching real quick? I really believe this, that teaching helps you sharpen the ax, preaching helps you swing the ax. Another way to say it is, uh, my job, it says in Ephesians, that I'm supposed to equip the saints. Ooh, you a saint. Turn your neighbor and say, you a saint. You haven't heard that lately, have you? Come on now, you a saint. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now turn to the saint and get the work. Come on now, we're supposed to get to work now. Uh, now, uh, what happens when you teach, you equip the saints, and then when you preach, you empower the saints, all right? So I want to teach a little bit to equip you, and then I want to preach to empower you, because we're not supposed to have service just on a Sunday. We're supposed to change the world. I hope you know that. So the book of Philippians, uh, very simple. It was not known as the book of Philippians back in the day. On the street, back in the day, it was known as the epistle of joy. Epistle is a fancy uh, um, word that just means letter to the churches. So it was the book of joy. Why was it called the book of joy? Well, you look in the book of Philippians, 19 times in these four little chapters, joy, gladness, and rejoice are said over and over again, more than all the other 13 epistles. So it had this theme of joy uh, in it. Another thing that I love about it is the first church plant in all of Europe. This is the, 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 the church of Philippi. This, this book written to the Philippians was the first church plant in all of Europe. Isn't that crazy to think? And not only that, uh, what I love about uh, this book is that you can actually read the birth of um, uh, the book of Philippians and the church of Philippi uh, in, at the end of Acts 15 and all of Acts 16. And I, Acts 16, if you ask me what my favorite chapter in all of Acts, it had to be Acts 16. It shows the power of the gospel. In Acts 16, you see a rich person named Lydia get saved. The, the gospel has the power to save people who think they have everything. And then you see somebody who is possessed by a demon. She's a fortune teller. She gets saved. It can save the oppressed and the possessed. Uh, not only that, it's, it, it saves a, a prison guard, just a rough, tough prison guard. The gospel's for everyone. That's how the church of Philippi was birthed in Acts 16, just by the gospel message. Does that sound good? Other thing I love about the book of Philippians, I call it the tattoo book, because I've met more people with Philippian tattoos on them than any other book, okay? They're like, check this tattoo out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and then the real intense Christians are like, to live is gain, but to die is even better. Whoa, 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 okay, you're one of those Christians, okay. Um, <laughs> I want to read you some of the verses. Uh, I want to just to give you an overview of what we're going to be going through. Uh, I want to read you some of the greatest hits from Philippians, just to show you. Uh, and wh- why do people get a tattoo of a verse? Why? Because I-, I believe this, that, that life is hard. That they just, they just have hard days and boring days and tough days and betrayal days and frustrating days and, and questioning yourself days and, and failing days. And you get upset with yourself, shameful days. And so what happens with a lot of people, they find a verse and like, Okay, that verse helped me that day because it spoke a truth over my lie. I'm gonna gonna get it tatted on my shoulder or my my knee so I can look down and remind myself I can do all things through Christ. So I wanna read you some of the greatest hits. Does that sound good? Here's some of the verses you're gonna hear in this series. Philippians 1, 6. 
And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. Oh, don't you love that God doesn't give up on you? Don't you love that, that, that once you got saved, that that wasn't it, that he wasn't just trying to get heaven to, uh, you to heaven, but he's actually trying to get heaven in you? Woo, that's a great promise. So it goes on to say, we'll continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Philippians 121, this is for the, if you want to, if you're like one of those like intense Christians, go get this tatted, okay? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a great conversation starter with people, especially like, you know, evangelistically. Um, Philippians 2, it's um, what we call the kenosis verses in Bible college. You learn about the Christology, um, the study of Christ, and him pouring himself out and becoming fully man, fully God. So it's an amazing one. You've probably heard this, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that God is Lord. Well, you'll find that in Philippians. It's right here in Philippians 2. It says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. Ooh, that's good. Now, this is my favorite. I'm going to read you Philippians 3. If I was going to get a tat, I got no tats. Um, not that I think tats are evil. If you're one of those people like, Bible says bad to get tattooed. I read in Leviticus that you can't get tattooed. It says right after that that you can't trim your beard. So just learn how to exegete scripture, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, the hermeneutics of that verse is that we're not supposed to mark ourselves to associate with other gods or set apart. Well, you're like, oh, in Corinthians, it says that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's talking about demons and possession, okay? It's not talking about tattoo, okay? Um, so if you got a tattoo, good for you. Me, I just never know what I'd get. I'd be like, oh, I should get this and i get that, and that'd just be dangerous. But if I did get a tattoo, I'd get Philippians 3 all around my whole back, the whole thing, okay? <laughs> if I'm gonna do it, I'd go all the way, all right? And then a big old eagle saying, God is king. Okay, anyways, uh, <laughs> if I was, let's keep going. Uh, Philippians 3, uh, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. This one speaks to me more than, oh, this has been a, a, one of my life verses. Or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. Come on, forgetting the past. Can I, can I be real with you real quick? As a pastor, I suck at forgetting the past. I just think about my sin and my shame. I, and so this verse for me has been so good. Like the Lord screaming at me, don't, don't remember the past anymore. Forget the past and, and remember what lies ahead. Remember my promises. I struggle with forgetting my past. I struggle with, uh, with forgetting my mistakes and my personal failures and things that have happened to me and things I've done that I should never have done. So it goes on to say, and this is what I love. This is the, the, how good the gospel is. And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I heard somebody say it this way. We often remember what God has forgotten and forget what God wants us to remember. Oh, we often remind ourselves what God has already forgotten. Oh, let's remind ourselves of actually what God wants us to remember. Does that sound good? Philippians 4 is another famous one. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Woo! And then I call this the athlete verse. Put Tim Tebow up. Uh, I call it the Tebow verse. Philippians 4.13. Yeah, try to tackle me now, you know. Um, Philippians 4.13 says this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Steph Curry also has it on a shoe at games right there. I mean, you'll see Philippians everywhere. You'll see this book everywhere. And my prayer today is that we could just learn about joy, but also that we could, uh, I've never wanted to have a fake church. I just don't enjoy fake church. I want to have real church. Real church has real people with real problems with real victories. That's what I want for our church, okay? And so if we could talk about life, life is good and then life is bad. Life is happy, and then life is sad. Life is successes, life is failures. Life is storms, and life is calm. Life is peaks, woo, and life is valleys. Life is sunny days, woo, and life is rainy days. Life is just so inconsistent. 
can feel like a roller coaster ride. And God's heart, by using Paul to write pen to paper, his heart for his people, is that we would not get on the roller coaster of life, but we would let the word of God calibrate us and we could have joy in the midst of the roller coaster. I was uh, um, on my uh, eight-year anniversary and we were celebrating two years of the church. Woo, two-year-old church, eight years married. I'm doing it, Mom. I did it. I did it, Mom. Mom, I did it. I don't know what that means, but I did it. Um, and so Rachel and I uh, uh, got away last week, and we went to where we had our honeymoon. We went to Maui. We hadn't been there for a few years, and went to the same hotel. Come on up. Woo! It's so good. I'm going to start wooing for myself, okay? Um, <laughs> Philippians 4. Woo! Preach, Tyler. Um, so anyways, so we go to Maui, and I feel like we've had a colder winter than usual. Can we agree with that? It's been cold, and I don't like cold. I, the reason why I left Washington is I didn't like the rain. I didn't like the cold. So I love California. I love warm. I hate the rain, okay? And so we go to Maui. First two days, it was like... <sighs> 23 miles per hour, raining, and I was like, God, we got to talk, man. This, this is not what I planned. What is going on? So finally, by day three, sun comes out. I go to my favorite little coffee shop called Island Vintage Coffee. It's in Whaler's Village in Kanapali, and I remember grabbing my coffee, and I was walking back. I was like, finally, it's sunny. And then out of the blue, it starts raining again. And I was like, you got to, what the, come on, Lord. You know, I was so, I was so mad. I, I had my coffee. I was going to be happy, and it started raining. And in front of me, this four-year-old girl was being held by her mom, and she was like, ah, ah, the rain, ah. And then I'm behind her, I'm like, ah, the rain, ah, ah. I'm like, I'm like, my, yes, my people, yeah, yeah. We're, we're in Maui, girl, we shouldn't have it. So she's like, ah. And the mom, oh, what a great mom. Oh, the best, oh, just such a, such a great mom moment. She was raising both of us at this moment, to be honest. Uh, the, the, keeping it real. Uh, the mom says to the little girl, oh, no, no, baby girl, the rain's not bad. Catch the rain with me, catch the rain with me. And so she starts catching the drops. She goes, look, I caught the drops. And so the little four-year-old's like, and she starts laughing and catching the rain and showing her mom. And she's like, I caught all the rain because her hand was soaking wet. She's like, I caught the rain. And then I'm behind them. We're catching the rain. Mom, I'm catching the rain too. Look, I caught it, mom. You know, that's literally what I felt in my soul at that moment. I want to run up like, I can catch it too, mommy. Um, you're not my kid. Sorry, mom. Um, and I, I, got, I got up to the hotel room. I said, Rachel, I just had one of the most profound moments with the Lord. I felt like the Lord is showing me that this week we're going to catch the rain. We're gonna catch the rain together. And what I love is I would never want a bad spiritual mother or father that would, would join in with my complaining. Oh, doesn't like, why does everything happen to me? And they're like, oh, isn't just life the worst? I hate it. Oh, let's, ah! Well, this was a good time. We should do it again next week. Sound good? Great. I don't want that for my life. Oh, and what I love about Paul is the, the church of Philippi, they're discouraged right now. But like a good father, you'll see in Philippians 1, he says, catch the rain with me. Catch the goodness. Paul is in prison, and they're like, it's over. The great apostle, the one that birthed this church, he's in prison. He's, he's maybe going to die. It's over. And Paul, you'll see it in Philippians 1. He says, no, catch the rain with me. I'm in prison, but guess what? Prison guards are chained to me all day long, and I got a captive audience. Catch the rain with me. I'm telling them about Jesus. They're getting saved. Can you imagine being a guard eight hours? Have you heard about this guy named Jesus? I don't hear about it. You can't go nowhere. <laughs> he's saying, catch the rain with me. It says that the believers in Rome, they're beginning more confident and bold about the name of Jesus. The gospel, this is what's so great. I'm in chains, but the gospel can never be in chains. Catch the rain with me. Some people are asking right now, well, with the coronavirus, what if they shut down church? They can't shut down church. Hey, you can't chain the gospel. We'll, we'll live stream. I'll, I'll get on a live stream. We'll get in houses. We'll meet at houses, and we'll proclaim the name of Jesus. People get saved in houses. The, the gospel cannot be stopped. Catch the rain. Catch the rain. So my prayer today is that as we go through the book of Philippians, I don't know where you're at today, but man, a lot of us are good at catching the negativeness of the world and letting the world lead us. Paul, like a great father, is gonna show you that there is 
Here's my point. So I'm just going to give it to you earlier. Joy is found in the gospel. We're going to talk about that. Joy is found in the plan and what it produces. Joy is found in the pain and what it produces. And joy is found in the perspective of what it produces. Does that sound good? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just come before you, and, and we do. We ask that you would breathe on this message, that my words would fall to the floor. I think I already prayed, but I'm going to pray again. Uh, uh, Lord, <laughs> I pray that this, this word, oh, that is alive and active, may it, may it do what it's supposed to do in our hearts. May we be ready to receive it. Oh, we love you, Jesus. It's all about you. And everybody said? Amen. First point is this. going to keep it really simple. Joy is found in the gospel. Joy is found in the gospel. Now, if I could just let you know, a recent poll said that two-thirds of Americans are unhappy. Two-thirds of Americans are unhappy. Why are they unhappy? I think they're unhappy because they're looking for uh, happiness or joy, whatever you want to say it, in all the wrong places. And so Paul, like a great leader, like a great father, calibrates the church of Philippi and says, hey, joy, you can have it in the midst of the storm. I'm going to teach you how to catch the rain. I'm going to teach you what the most important thing is. And he starts out of the gates in Philippians 1 says, you know where you find joy? You find in the gospel. I have joy because you're a gospel-centered church. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1. You have it. We're going to start with uh, uh, verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Sometimes you look at the intros to the, these books, and you're like, well, that's what he writes to everybody. No, 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 that's not what he writes to everybody. He goes on to say, and this is one of my favorite uh, verses also in Philippians, and I'm certain that the God who began the good work within you, he's like, you guys, I'm certain. Can I ask you a question real quick? Are you certain? Are you certain that the God that created you is committed to your joy? Are you certain that the God that created you is committed to the promise on your life? Are you certain that the work that he began in you, the dreams that are in you, do you, are you certain that at the right time when God says, now is the time to release it, are you certain he's committed to it? Paul is committed, and he's trying to teach us as sons and daughters of the church, are you certain, because I'm certain. He doesn't say, I am certain that the God who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Woof! He's saying joy is found in the gospel. Joy is found in a gospel-centered church. Other types of churches that elevate anything besides Jesus, besides the gospel, they're just tiring and there is no joy. I'll show you. You think Paul wrote this to every church? Go to Galatians 1. Go to Galatians 1. Let's look, let's look at a, um, the other side of the coin of what a church could be. He goes, I am astonished. Some translations say, I am shocked. He goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Can I read a lot of scripture today? Thank you. Let's do it. Galatians 3. Let's keep going. He goes, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, it is foolish for a church to think that you can find joy in religion, find joy in preference, find joy in culture. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you to think you can find joy anywhere else besides the gospel? He goes, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I'm going to keep reading some scripture. It's a good thing. Here we go. Let me ask you this one question. Ready? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? He's saying, you guys are making it about the law. Don't you know what Bar Marley said? I fought the law and the law won. Don't fight the law. <laughs> Come on, a great theologian. Here we go. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? He just keeps on going, it's foolish, it's foolish, it's foolish to go anywhere else besides the gospel to find joy and fulfillment. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain. Was it? Oh. I just, I don't know what pastor it was in the early centuries, clergy, that decided that pastors were supposed to wear all black. And their attire had to be so serious. And they took themselves so seriously. The clergy looked more like grave diggers than joy bringers. C.S. Lewis says this, that joy is the serious business of heaven. And you look at this moment and Paul is saying, hey, hey, 
Proud of you, Church of Philippi. You get what the most important thing is, is the name of Jesus. Do you know that the Church of Galatia, they, religion's always about status. It's never about actually being righteous. It's always status stuff. Because I'm wary of movements that are marked by a man and not by Jesus. Religious movements always have some guy who's in charge, always telling us the preference of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. That is not the movement of God. Let's, let's commit as a church that we only elevate Jesus. We only elevate the mission of Jesus, not preference. And so you, you look at this moment, he's talking to Galatia, and if I, could, if I could put it this way, you have these two different churches, and there's only one that actually leads to fulfillment. Let me, let me use an illustration. Can I use another Maui illustration? Okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> Now, this was not on the same trip. It was a handful of years ago. Rachel and I decided, you know what? Let's, uh, we're during whale watching season. Let's go actually uh, look at the whales out in the water. So we rented a, um, a guide. We asked somebody. We paid somebody to lead us to find the whales uh, in a kayak. Now, I pictured like meeting this guy who was like a whale whisperer. Like, I was raised by whales, and I've lived here my whole life. There are 20 whales to the right of us right now, you know? Uh, that's what I was picturing, okay? But what I got was like, hey, man, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Moved out about 10 months ago. Let's hop in. We're going to be looking for fins. Oh, are we going to be looking for fins? Okay, okay, okay. Look for fins, okay? Um, he's like, also, we're going to be looking for still water. The still water shows us that that's where they're uh, in that vicinity. And I was like, oh, this should be interesting, okay? And so, so this guy, what uh, ends up doing, and he's like, okay, I see a fin over there. Let's go. And so we start paddling, 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 paddling. 20 minutes goes by. He's like, all right, hold on a second. And we look. And then like 100 yards that way. Oh, they're over there. Never mind. Let's paddle that way. Let's paddle that way. And again, so we literally, I, I kid you not, Picture chasing whales in a kayak in the ocean. <laughs> Worst moment of my life, okay? I didn't have the kayak muscles either, so my muscles are burning, you know? I'm trying to be like the man in the kayak too. I got this, babe! <laughs> you know, everything's like frying. And so finally, like, we're just gonna take a break and we're gonna stand right here. We're just gonna stay right in the middle. I think a whale's gonna come to us, all right? We're good. So they stopped paddling around. And, and God gave me this picture, and I think God's so kind because you look how Jesus taught, because some people are like, you need to read scripture by scripture. That's the only way to do it. Jesus taught in parables and stories to show truth. So I believe scripture is the most powerful thing, but I love that how God uses pictures to show us really the truth of who he is. And so I remember uh, we were in Maui this time and God just showed me something. It, it, I'm gonna submit it to you. Culture is a terrible leader. And a lot of you have hired him and paid him a lot of money to have you run from side to side, up and down for the last how many years? Oh, fulfillment, joy, it's found in a, in a job position. So you're like, okay, I got the job. No, no, joy is found by a spouse. You gotta get the spouse. No, no, joy is, joy is found in being really, really fit. No, joy is found in my beauty. Oh, joy is found in this. And so you've been literally going everywhere and anywhere. Culture is a terrible leader. It is wearing you out. And you still don't have the joy. Two-thirds of America is unhappy. That's what the poll says. And then religion. You come to church like, okay, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I, won't, I'll, I'll, I won't be worn out with religion. No, religion will wear you out. Oh, okay, we gotta do it this way, and we gotta do it this way. I'm always wary when people take themselves too seriously and religion too seriously. I take Jesus very seriously. I take the gospel very seriously. And what he's saying to the church of Philippi, and what he's saying to us, you guys wanna find, you wanna find joy? Fall in love with the gospel. David would say it this way, return to me the joy of my salvation. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Some of you think you need something else. No, return to me what I was saved from and what I'm saved to. Second point is this. Joy is found in advancing the gospel, in advancing the gospel. Another way that this could be said is that joy is found in what the plan is producing, what the plan is producing. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1, Philippians 1. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. 
It's a man in prison, like celebrating that he's in prison and what it's producing, what the plant is producing. This is an amazing thing. He goes on to say, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Stop. So if you read Paul's writings, Paul had plans. He had plans to go to Rome. He had plans to go to Rome as a preacher, not a prisoner. He had plans to go to Rome and preach in town square, not to go preach in a prison cell next to a guard that would literally be tied to him while he used the bathroom and sleep 24 hours a day, three different guards over and over again. But he goes, you guys, my plan was gonna cost me money. Do you know I got free travel to, uh, to Rome by the palace guards, literally locked up, they paid for my travel. Woo, that's a good thing. Let me, let me put it this way. Matthew Henry, a scholar in the 1600s, he said that Paul is the ultimate alchemist. Now, if you don't know what alchemy is, alchemy is, uh, was this study in the medieval times where they would try to take nothing and make it valuable gold. Like lead would be worth nothing. They would try to take lead and make it gold. And what Paul is showing us, what he's trying to teach us through this little book of joy, the book of Philippians, that in life, that you are going to get a lot of days that are like lead. You're going to get a lot of days that feel like nothing. You know what Paul does? He takes nothing. He's ultimate alchemist. He says, look at the gold in this story. You think this is a bad thing? No, no, no. Free travel to Rome? Not only that, you read the book of Acts. They wanted to kill, uh, they wanted to kill Paul on the way to Rome. They actually had a trap to kill him. Well, guess what? Paul had free bodyguards literally delivering him to Rome. He's like, I had free bodyguards, everybody. This is a great thing. Not only that, look, look at what's happening. The church is advancing. I'm in chains, but the gospel is not in chains. It's an amazing thing. He's the ultimate alchemist. He's saying, find the gold in this plan. Catch the rain with me. I find joy when the gospel advances, and what I've realized is that the gospel can advance anywhere and everywhere. It is not about my platform, it's about Jesus. Can, you guys wanna play a, a game, you wanna do a test? Who wants to do a test, yes? Okay, sweet, we're gonna do a test. Who likes tests, yes, anybody? Few of you, okay. Um, who hates tests? It's only one question, bear with me, okay? Um, you've been on Facebook and you see those like, things like, what uh, celebrity are you like? Or uh, what Bible character are you? Take this quiz. And now on Instagram, they have those ones where you're like, uh, uh, which Disney character am I? Uh, okay, okay. Uh, which Friends character? All right, well, oh my gosh, I'm Rachel. You, know? um, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. So I have done zero of these. My wife does them a good amount. She used to do them a lot. And so here's Rachel taking one of the tests, and here's who she got, Disney character. Hunchback in our day. That's my baby girl. That's my baby hunchback right there. <laughs> what up, baby? What up, baby? <laughs> now, let, let, me, uh, let me unpack this real quick. We're, we're going to take a test. It's going to be, what, what Bible character are you? Are you more like Paul? Are you an alchemist where you take nothing, you take a hard day, and you make it gold because that's what the Scripture does, that's what the good news does, that's what God's created us to do, to be alchemists, to take nothing and make something beautiful out of it? Are you like Jonah? that you take little things and make them really big things. You make it about yourself. I'm gonna show you. So Jonah, if I, uh, let's go there. So the test is gonna be, Paul or Jonah, which character are you? Now, uh, Paul, we see how he is enjoying the plan of God, allowing it to produce what it's supposed to produce. Well, Jonah comes to Nineveh, declares the gospel message, and basically Nineveh is gonna be destroyed, but they repent. And Jonah's ticked that he's not gonna destroy Nineveh. He wants them all dead. They're a terrible nation. He's like, I can't believe you're gonna forgive them. So he's mad about this, okay? Ever met a Christian who's mad when you get grace? This is what's happening. Uh, my, uh, my good friend Tim Howe told me that uh, uh, you hate one another. How do you say it, Tim? Hold on, I'll look at my text. Tim Howe, uh, grace is unfair until you need it. Woo, Tim Howe, thank you for that. Mm. Text messages on watches. Okay, here we go. Um, real magic does exist. Uh, Jonah 4. 
So here's how it starts. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry. Jonah's like, that's not what I wanted to have happen. Why are you allowing this? Why are you forgiving Nineveh? He's, he's upset about grace. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful, compassionate God, slow to get angry, and you're filled with unfailing love. I knew it. Like, how can you be complaining about these things? For me, if I could be honest, religious people are grumpy and gloomy. They're grumpy because people aren't matching their preferences and they're gloomy because they can't even match their own preferences. And so, and so what is Jonah? He's not joyful. He's grumpy and he's gloomy because he's not making it about grace. He's not making it about the gospel. He's making it about what he thinks should be done. You ever met a Christian and you're like, I know who they really are. How dare they succeed in life? How dare you put your justice bar on anybody? Man, at this church, we give people grace. Oh, we give them grace, and then we love to give them this other thing. It's called truth. It's the word of God. Grace and truth cannot be separated. They are the most powerful thing God gave us, his gospel and his grace. Oh, may we always give those two things. Sound good? Didn't I say before, okay, anyways, uh, unfailing love, uh, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Are you, are you convinced, like Paul, that he is going to finish the work that he began in you. Because that's what he's doing with Jonah right now. Jonah's been saved, but Jonah's not acting saved. Some scholars are like, is Jonah even saved at this moment? He's, he's being sanctified. He is committed to Jonah's joy. And you will see how committed he is to Jonah's joy, because Jonah has no joy. And the Lord wants Jonah to have joy in, in the mission, in advancing. You just, I used you to save a city, and you're upset about it? So he's committed. Look how committed God is to your joy through this story of Jonah. Ready? The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its, bread leaves, um, its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God was uh, but also arranged for a worm that next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it would wither away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. It's a lot of commitment to Jonah's joy. Doesn't feel like joy, but he's committed to his joy. This, this is God's goodness. You may not think this is God's goodness. This is God's goodness at the highest level. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because this plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. Can I ask you a question? Are you more about branches and comfort than you are about souls and cities? Are you more about your own preference and your, your own self-centeredness than you are actually about advancing the gospel? He's asking, Jonah, Jonah, you care more about a branch than 120,000 people being destroyed? He goes on to say, put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I? God even cares about the animals. Who loves animals in the house? Come on now. God's like, 120,000 people, and there's a lot of cool puppies. Come on, Jonah, if you don't like people, how about the puppies? How about the cats? You know, like, like, I feel like he's like, if you're not a people person, are you at least a dog person? You know? And so he's like, not to mention all the animals, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Stop. I, if, if I would have took this, this test in my mid-20s, I would have been a Jonah. I would have, Jonah. All 20s. Jonah. Here's why. I'll never forget. This verse to me, is this is one of my life chapters, if I could put it that way. I'm 27 years old. I uh, just got a new job at uh, a church in L.A. I was dating a girl that I thought I was going to marry. And the day before I start my new job at this church in L.A., uh, we break up. 
And I had plans. I thought, once we get married and once I have this job and once we move in this house, oh, that's when life is going to get really good. Because life had been somewhat hard for me growing up to that moment. Uh, my childhood, uh, you know, making 200 bucks a week for four years, and then uh, $1,000 a month at my new one in L.A. I mean, I was just on the grind for my first five years of ministry. So I remember like, okay, this is my time, God. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to marry her. I finally got a good salary. Boom, boom, boom. You're going to do all this stuff, and we got this. And then we broke up. And can I? Can I be real transparent of what I was saying in the car on the way to work that day? I, I, I came to God and said, God, I, I, I told you I wouldn't kiss a girl till I got married. It's been eight years. I haven't kissed anybody. I'm still a virgin. I promised to be a virgin, and I kept it. I made 200 bucks a week for four years for you. I've given you my life. I packed up a car because you said to come to L.A. I came down in a car with nothing else to make $1,000 a month for you, and this is how you repay me? And now I'm going to go build into your kingdom now. I'm going to work in a church and preach five times a week. And this is what you give me. I was crying my eyes out, screaming at him on the one-on-one. If you would have saw me in the car, you'd be like, whoa, got to get away from that guy. I would have looked at you like, ah, ah, ah. I remember walking in the office that first day. My eyes were like swollen from crying. Like, who's the new guy? I'm so happy to be here. Like, did we make the right hire? Like, this is what that day was like for me. God being so kind, so kind. He brought me to Jonah. I never saw this in Jonah. I never saw it. And God was so kind to say, you're either going to be about branches and comfort or look to your left, and it was L.A. There are millions of people going to hell. Or you can be about advancing my gospel. One will bring you joy. One will bring you frustration. you got to find joy in my plan, Tyler. you got to trust that I'm, com- I'm committed to your promise. I'm committed to your joy. Can I say I'm so thankful I didn't marry that other girl? Can I get an Amen. <laughs> That's my hunchback right there. Come on now. God had, God had a hunchback for me. He's like, God, if you only knew, Ty, if you only knew, you wouldn't be upset. Let me, let me say it this way. Uh, let, me, let, me summarize, let me summarize it this way. Joy isn't found when God says yes to your plans. Joy is not found when God says yes to your plans. Joy is found when you say yes to God's plans. Because here's the one test. This is the test question. You ready? Is God working for you or are you working for God? That's what he's trying to establish with Jonah. Jonah, are you in charge or am I in charge? Because if you're in charge of your life, you'll always be frustrated. If you're in charge of the plans, you'll always be, let me be in charge. I'm really good at this. I'm the creator of the universe. I'm the author and the finisher. I'm the one that moves mountains. I'm the one that knows you more than you know you. I know your heart's desires better. Let me lead. Get out of the leadership seat. Next point is joy is found in becoming the gospel. Another way to say that is joy is found in what the pain is producing. Philippians 1, 15 says this, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, uh, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful. Oof, you ever met people who just like to put a little salt in the wound sometimes? So what's happening, Paul, Paul's like, not only am I in pain, but there's people actually trying to make this a more painful season for me. But he says, but that doesn't, ma- that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. That word deliverance is a terrible translation in the English. Forty plus times this Greek word is used in the New Testament and is the word salvation. It's used for salvation. But for some reason, the, the, um, the translators have such a hard time with this because, well, he's already saved, so what is he trying to say? And so they studied the Greek words, study other parts of the Bible. And here's what Paul is saying. He's already saved. 
He's already, he's already has salvation. Here's, here's what he said in the plan. He said, find joy, find gold in what the plan is producing. That's a good one. Let's find, let's find the gold that's being produced. But in the second part, he's saying, hey, I'm the ultimate alchemist because here's what I, I'm seeing happen. Not only is the plan producing gold, the plan is making me gold. The deliverance statement is this. This pain is saving me from myself. Because when you go through pain, can I be honest? It removes selfishness. Paul is saying, I'm becoming more loving. I'm becoming more humble. I'm becoming more joyful. Have you ever met somebody who's never gone through anxiety? They just don't get it. They're not empathetic. They're like, oh, just be tougher. You go through anxiety, and you hear somebody else has anxiety. Oh, there's a humility. There's a, oh, let me pray with you. There's, there's a more Christ-like response to somebody hurting. And I can say that because I was the one before anxiety. I didn't get it. And then I walked through it for a season. And that, when you go through those kind of things, oh, I hated the pain of it. Oh, but it was saving me from my arrogant self. Oh, it was making me gold in that season. I look at my childhood, and I was mad at it. I was mad at the pain I had to go through as a child. And now I look at the pain as a child and what I had to go through with those kind of parents and what I had, what I had to experience, and now I go, God, you were producing something in me. You were making me gold. I, I, I believe that suffering, never to be discounted, but it makes you dangerous in all the right ways. It, it cures you of what I call someday disease. And what someday disease is, is just simply put it this way. It's, it's when you go, well, someday when I have this job, it's like the kayak illustration, someday when I have this type of person, someday when my spouse gets it, someday when my boss gets it, someday when I get fit, someday when I'm a little bit more disciplined, someday when I'm everything I know I could be in my head, someday, 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 someday. The problem with Sunday is Monday through Sunday, someday's not in the calendar. And so someday I'll be joyful. Someday I'll be happy. The problem is, is today is your day to be joyful. And Paul is saying, I've got the joy. I've got joy because it's producing gold, the gospel, and it's producing me to be more like the gospel. I have the privilege of being like my Savior. It's making me more like Jesus, and I find joy in that. So many of us don't like pain, don't like suffering. Suffering, the best way to put it is, if I could put a context, let's, let's put it this way. Suffering is losing something that you think you can't live without. And hear my heart, I, I don't want to discount your suffering. I've, I've been through mine, and everybody's suffering is different. But what the Bible shows us about when we go through suffering is that when he takes you to that valley, you realize, God, there's a bigger picture here. And you're really thankful for heaven. People who have lost people, they think about heaven more than you do. They have a heavenly perspective. So it makes them more dangerous. They think less about the world. They think more about heaven because they know who they're going to see in heaven. Suffering opens your eyes to a bigger picture. Let me, let me put it this way. Uh, suffering uh, sets you free because someday disease, not only when you get it, because even when you get it, here's what's so sad, is then you're, let's say you get that one thing you think is gonna get, make you happy. Billie Eilish, she's a, a famous uh, artist right now, she's everywhere. They asked her in a recent interview, what, what do you want? Like, what, what, what's the biggest thing you want now? And her answer was just like, it just hit me. And the timing of me being able to see this interview was perfect. She goes, I just wanna stay happy. I wasn't happy a lot uh, growing up, and I'm happy now. I just want to stay. I would love to stay happy. Problem with that is what she's saying, and if I could just be honest, when you get that promotion, when you get that person, when you get that thing, then you suffer from the other someday disease. Well, what if I lose that job someday? What if I lose my identity in that job someday? What if I lose uh, this promotion? What if I lose this prominence? What if I lose this money? What are the, and so you, you're, you're being actually, um, you're actually in a bigger prison than Paul is because the prison of fear of losing it just absolutely paralyzes you. But this shows us that if you will allow pain to produce the gold, oh, you'll be more dangerous for the kingdom than you ever thought you could be.
I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. I wrote another quote down for this, and I hope this um, resonates with you. Joy isn't found when everything is perfect. It's a Sunday. No, no, it's not. Joy is not found when everything is perfect. Joy is found when you realize the suffering is perfecting you. That, that's when joy starts to happen. That's when joy is found. That's when you start catching the rain. My last point is this. Joy is found with a gospel perspective. Joy is found with a gospel perspective. Now, what does a gospel perspective mean? Perspective is everything. Joy is found in perspective. So you got Paul, he's in prison. He's going through all these things that he's dealing with, the pain, the people who are mocking him, selfish ambition. And here's, I love, I love how Paul starts to finish up this uh, first chapter. He goes, for I truly ex- uh, expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been uh, in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means to live for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which one is better. I'm torn between two desires. Woo! You hear Paul say, he's like, oh, I'm so torn. I got so much joy to choose from. Death is heaven. Woo, that's full joy. Oh my goodness, no more tears. Oh, there is joy in heaven. I'm torn. That sounds amazing to me. That sounds really joyful. Ooh, but hold on a second. My other decision is to advance the gospel and have a gospel perspective that I can still help other people get saved. Ooh, that's really joyful to me too. I don't know what to pick. I don't know what to pick. Tell people about Jesus or go be with Jesus. Ah, so much joy. Stop. Isn't it amazing uh, what a gospel perspective will do to the way that you look at hardships? Uh, I, uh, I found four pictures to kind of wrap this message up. Show the first picture real quick. You can uh, mess with the perspective in a camera. That's a keychain about this big. And that person's holding a little keychain. It's just manipulating the picture to make something that's really small look really big. Go to the next picture. It's a water bottle. Another way to manipulate a picture to make something really small look really big. Next one. Another one, hey, let's uh, take the camera and act like we're taking a picture. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so again, let's make the picture. And then this one, ooh, scary T-Rex. Isn't it? You may ever meet somebody who takes the small things of this world and makes them the biggest things of this world? And what Paul is saying is, if you keep on having your eyes fixed on the wrong things, they'll be way too big and they'll steal your joy. If you... if. If your mind, what you picture, and you, you make a problem that's really this big, but you think about it and talk about it, and you start assuming things, you make it this big, he's saying, oh, you'll never have joy. You won't find joy in making the wrong things big. You'll never find joy in making the wrong things big. But you will find joy when you make heaven big and you make Jesus' message big. And my prayer for you is whatever is in your picture right now, whatever you've made big in your life, that you would have a fresh season of saying, God, I wanna see things your way. I want, I, want, I want to come to the scriptures and read. Ooh, I don't know what's better today, God. It's Monday. Is it better to come be with you? And if I could be honest, a lot of the Christians could never actually say that would be our first choice. I ask myself that question as a prayer in this. It's hard for me to stay still. I want to live. I want to live a full life. I want to have kids. I want to see this church become a church that impacts the region and maybe the world. I want to do great things. So that statement for me is hard. But I'm asking God that he would produce gold in me so I could say it and I actually mean it. The second one is this. Ooh, or do I stay and preach the gospel? Oh, I like that one. I like that one. But may I have a heavenly perspective. May heaven be bigger to me and may the gospel be bigger to me. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.